tell you right now that uh, this series is going to have some pretty serious moments to it. Because what, what has happened is after nearly three and a half decades of ministry, I am perplexed. I'm perplexed because among God's people, we seemingly are not having the victory in life that we ought to have. When there is still problems with addictions, pornography, sexual sins, when there's problems with drugs, alcohol, peer pressure, among God's people I'm talking about. Huh? then maybe we need to stop and really focus on what exactly is meant when the Bible says we are more than conquerors. There seems to be a little difference in the way that the Scripture says it and what typically is happening in the life of a lot of people today who call ourselves Christians. So let me show it to you in the text. Romans chapter number 8, I'm going to begin in verse 31. If you're there, sound there. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? I, I love that verse, don't you? God is for us, then who can be against us? Now, what he's saying is, uh, uh, the beginning of that verse, what shall we then say to these things? If you go back, uh, chapter 8, verse 1, there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ. You keep reading, this is a tremendous chapter, you keep reading, it talks about having the Spirit of God in you if you're born again. It goes on to say, as many as are led by the Spirit, they are the sons of God. It says we've not received the spirit of bondage, but the spirit of adoption, meaning we're joint heirs with Jesus Christ. There's so many things. The Bible says in this chapter that the Holy Spirit even prays for us when we don't know how to pray. We have, we have the victory. And then we come down to this and the Bible says, so what shall we say to these things? If God is for us, then who can be against us? Then he goes on and he says in verse 32, Paul is writing to the saints at Rome. He says, He who did not spare his own son but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen. Who is even at the right hand of God who also makes intercession for us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Amen. Now I'm going to finish that text in just a moment. But let me give you a definition of the word conquer. To conquer is to gain mastery over or to win by overcoming obstacles or opposition. I want to remind you that the Bible does not say that you are a conqueror. It says you are more than a conqueror. Amen. Paul goes on and in the next few words that he uses, I believe he's searching for extremes. He's saying heights and depths. And, and what he's saying is, I, I cannot fathom anything that could separate us from the love of Christ. And he says it in uh, uh, beginning in verse 38. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Now part of understanding victory and having victory is to understand the armor that God has given us. If you were to go to battle, obviously you would want some kind of protection and some kind of, of armament. Uh, let me uh, take a moment and for all of you Crimson Tide fans, let me quote Bear Bryant. Can I get an amen? He once said, it's not the will to win that matters. Everybody has that, he said. It is the will to prepare to win that matters. Preparation. Preparation. The Bible tells us in Ephesians chapter 6, God has given us this armor. Now understand, He would not have given us armor for battle if it wasn't going to involve, if our life was not going to involve battle. Right. 
So he has suited us for war, if you will. He has, he has equipped us for war. But may I say it to you this way, I'm afraid this is true, that, that many of us, although we know it's there, we would amend that. We're familiar with the passage. When I read it in just a moment, most of us could probably quote all of the pieces of the armor. And yet that does not mean that we put it on regularly. Amen. Amen. <laughs> sits over in the side, perhaps in our house, or we know it's there in the Bible, but how do we put it on? We're going to talk about that in just a minute. Well, let me take a moment and read it to you. Ephesians chapter number 6, if you'll look there with me, please. Ephesians 6. We're going to begin in verse 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. It has never been intended for God's people to be weak, to be passive, to be timid when it comes to spiritual battle. Never. As a matter of fact, let me pause a moment and say this to you in the way of introduction. I think this is important. Earlier we read, we are more than conquerors. Paul went on to say, as he wrote to the people of Rome, the saints who were at Rome, he went on to say that nothing can separate us. Two little words, we and us. Who is he talking about? We and us. If you were to look back in chapter 1 of the book of Romans and in the 7th chapter, you would find that Paul is addressing his writing to the saints who were at Rome. Now, what does it mean to be a saint? I won't ask you how many saints are here for you to raise your hand. But the truth of the matter is if you're born again, you qualify as a saint. Amen. That's the definition. One who's been born again, washed in the blood of Jesus Christ, has forgiveness of our sin, has the imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ transferred to our account. That is a saint. And so let me begin by saying this. We are more than conquerors is a reference to those who have been saved and born again. So if you're here today without Jesus as your Savior, I want to tell you something. You can be part of the we, but you're not right now part of the we. You can be part of it by simply asking Christ to be your Savior. Paul begins this section as he writes to the church of Ephesus or at Ephesus. He begins this section by saying, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. We are not conquerors because we are mighty and we are strong. We are conquerors because he is mighty and he is strong. Amen. And we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. So we're going to come back to this. By the way, throughout this series, it's about 10, uh, 11 weeks so far that God has laid on my heart. And all of the messages uh, focus on, on the letter A, words that begin with the letter A. Uh, Today is the armor. We're going to deal with addictions. We're going to deal with the adversary. Uh, we're going to pick that apart to understand that better. Uh, we're going to deal with attitude. We're going to deal with authority. There are several. I'll name all of them for, for you. We're going to deal with all of that as we talk about being more than conquerors. In Ephesians 6, he goes on in verse 11, put on the whole armor of God. You might want to underline the word whole. We're going to come back to that in just a minute. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. So let's stop a moment. Let's pause a moment and, and remind ourselves that we're not talking about a physical battle. We're not talking about uh, the, the type of fleshly battles that sometimes our minds go to when we think about warfare. We're talking about a spiritual battle. And to have, to have success in spiritual battle means that we must prepare with spiritual armor. This is not physical armor like the helmet that we saw uh, in the video, Brother Max Hare. <laughs> that was... Uh, that was is this where it went? Oh, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so uh, this is a cool helmet. It really is. But we're not talking about something physical that we can actually put on. So the question uh, still has to be answered by us, and that is, how do we put this stuff on? If, if it's there and it's actual, what do we do? We're going to talk about that in a moment. So let's read on. So we're wrestling against spiritual entities. Verse 13. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God. Again, that term. The whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. And now he gives us piece by piece. There are seven pieces to the armor. Five of them can be said to be defensive. The other two can be both defensive and offensive. Look with me. Verse 14. 
Stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints, and for me, that utterance may be given to me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in, that in it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Now, if you're taking some notes, and I hope that you are, you would have received a, a study sheet as you came in. I appreciate so much our greeters. If you're a greeter of our church, would you stand just a moment, please? We want to say thank you to you. You're a greeter. Men and women do an excellent job getting information to you, greeting you as you come in, and we thank them and appreciate their ministry immensely. Uh, if you have your study sheets, you might want to fill in a few things. We're going to approach this uh, from taking uh, from the, the uh, perspective of taking three steps to help us with more victories in our life so that we're not living defeated lives as Christians, but we actually do accomplish that we live up to the name of more than conqueror. Don't you think that's what we ought to be doing? Amen? Yeah. So, so let's talk about what it takes to do that. Number one in your notes, if you want to write it down, is suit up. Suit up. By this we mean to reduce the vulnerable areas in our life. Now the Bible says take the whole armor. I want you to imagine for a moment, and by the way, let me, let me give you this in the way of uh, understanding uh, Paul. Uh, make no mistake that the Holy Spirit, it is the Holy Spirit who has given Paul what to say and what to write. So he has written about the armor. And as he writes about the armor, you have to understand this, Paul was very familiar with the Roman soldier. Very familiar. Not only did he have Roman soldiers watching over him when he was in prison, but he grew up in Tarsus. <laughs> Tarsus was a city of the Roman Empire where the governor of Asia Minor resided. And there were soldiers everywhere. So Paul would have been very familiar with the Roman army, that mighty military force that absolutely dominated the world during this time. So what he's describing to us is really the armor of a Roman soldier spiritualized, if you will. He said, now, here's what we're going to do with this. You've got a belt. The, the Roman soldier had a belt. It's the belt of truth. And we're going to talk about that in a minute. Each piece has a significance to it. But what he's saying is this. Take the whole armor, suit up in all of the pieces. It's not going to do you much good if you walk out of your house in the morning and you have the helmet of salvation on, but you have nothing to protect your heart or your lungs. It's not going to do you much good if you put the breastplate of righteousness on and you've protected your heart and your lungs, but you've left your head vulnerable to an attack. Right. The mind, that, that's a, a serious thing. It's not going to do you any good if you put on all of the gear up top, but you leave your feet exposed. And we'll talk more about that in a minute. So the idea is this. Understand the importance of every piece, but learn to put it all on. Every piece of it. How do we put it on? Let me answer that question for you. You do that through prayer. Amen. It's not a complicated thing. As we talk about these things today, uh, I'm going to encourage you. And, and, and by the way, uh, as, a, uh, as a parent, I would pray on the armor of God on my kids constantly. And I, I, would, uh, I would encourage you parents to do the same. And on your spouses. Pray it on them and pray it on yourself. And, and you're going to begin to see why that's so important in just a minute as we go down through this list, all right? So let's begin again with this idea of suiting up and reducing our vulnerable areas. The word whole in the text that I asked you to pay attention to uh, is uh, the word panoplia, and it literally means complete. So put on the complete armor. Let's deal with the belt of truth. This is the, this is the piece that Paul uses first. He said, put on the belt. To gird yourself with truth. The, the belt in the Roman armor didn't, 
consist simply of a, of a strip of leather. It had many strips of leather that came off of it. It had loops and holes on it. It held the scabbard on where the sword would go. Uh, it, was a, it was a unique thing. Uh, it, it, was, it was a utility type belt. And uh, uh, not only was it that it had the long straps of leather and sometimes pieces of metal uh, to uh, help protect things like hips and thighs as they fought, but it also, Matthew Henry tells us in his commentary, it tied together the rest of the armor. So the breastplate, when it went on, it was tied inside with some leather straps to the belt. If you're fighting someone and you've got this belt on uh, and you fall down, it would help hold the armor in place. Otherwise, you would wind up totally out of place and armor shifting around on you. The armor that the soldier used was segmented. It, it was in pieces, shoulder pieces and the breastplate and a back piece. There, there were numbers, so it all tied together around the belt. And the Bible says it's the belt of truth. Keep this in mind. Let's begin with the truth. Amen. Let's start with wrapping ourselves in the truth. Amen. The, the fact of the matter is our young people are growing up in a society that now for several decades, I'm talking about decades now, in the public school systems particularly and in our culture, we, they have been taught and they are being taught that there is no thing called the truth, that there's, there's no absolute truth. And yet the Word of God says there's a right and a wrong, and God is the one who determines it. Amen. Not man, not parents, not any, but God is the one who said these things are right and these things Amen. are not right. So to have the truth is very important. John chapter 8, verse 32 says, And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. So surround yourself with truth. Study the Word of God. The Word of God is truth. Jesus Himself referred to Himself. John chapter 14, verse number 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes unto the Father but by Me. So, so make sure you're immersed in the truth first. And then from there, let's put on the breastplate of righteousness. Now the breastplate, I've already mentioned to you, was a segmented type of armor. Now keep in mind what this does. The breastplate protects the heart. Now I want you to think with me for a moment of the importance of this. There is little that is stronger in way of motivating anybody than love. What you love is going to create in you a passion toward whatever that may be. It's going to motivate you. Keep in mind that it was love that motivated God the Father yeah. to send God the Son for us. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believed in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. And so we need to understand that love is a tremendous motivator. But what about if love is misapplied? What about if we're loving the wrong things? What about if we're loving the wrong people? What about if we're loving something that God does not love? To David, we've been studying the life of David on Wednesday nights, and we're just coming down to a close on his life and the study uh, that we've been doing. And, and one of the things that, that David was known for, the Bible says he was a man after God's own heart. What does that mean exactly? It's a very simple thing. It means he loved what God loved, and he didn't like what God didn't like. He hated what God hated. And so the point of the matter is this. Do you love the things that God loves? Or does your heart go after things that God is not in favor of? The breastplate of righteousness helps protect the heart. You see, the devil, our adversary, is a master at trying to get you to fall in love with that which can harm you and hurt you and defeat you and destroy you because that is his goal in your life. So you pray on the belt of truth. You pray on the breastplate of righteousness. What is, what is righteousness? <laughs> righteousness has a profound definition. Are you ready for this? You, 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 I really should have put this on the board for you. It is so complicated and, and I hesitate to even just share it verbally. But I'm going to try it. Are you ready? It means right doing. <laughs> Amen. I mean that's complicated isn't it? To be righteous just means to do what is right. Yeah. It's right doing. And what the Bible is saying is, when you put on the breastplate of righteousness, just go about being busy doing what you know is right to do. Right. Yeah. 
Trust in that. It will help guide you. It will protect your heart. It will protect the life that is within you. The Bible talks about worshiping God in spirit and in truth. And the word spirit is a term that's actually used uh, uh, pneuma, which is the word that refers to the, to the lungs or to the breath. Uh, the Spirit of God is called the pneuma, uh, the wind of God, the breath of God. And you have congestion in your lungs. And some of you have dealt with this recently because of all the junk that is going on throughout our culture today with, with uh, uh, viruses and so forth. You, you get what's known as pneumonia. Uh, and the term is there. It, it impedes our breathing ability, the, the life that is within us, the, the air that we need to survive. And so the Bible tells us it's the breastplate of righteousness that protects that. You don't put on the breastplate of righteousness, I doubt very seriously you can worship in spirit and in truth. It's going to take some of that life that's within you has to be protected. It's important that we put it on, pray it on. God, put this thing on me. I've heard people say there's, there's no back uh, to the armor. Actually, if you study the Roman breastplate, you will find that it did contain a piece that covered the back. And I know it makes good preaching. It's just not good theology to tell somebody uh, uh, that uh, there's no uh, back and so you can't uh, turn around and retreat. Or uh, It's motivational, but it's not true. In the breastplate, it did cover portions of the back and protect us. So put it on through prayer. And then we have uh, the scripture. Let, let me share this with you. Matthew 15 and verse 8. These people draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. God's concerned about where your heart is today, folks. Amen. Amen. He wants to know. He does know. And he's concerned about it. And then we have the footwear. The Bible says, shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Verse 15 in Ephesians chapter 6. Now the Romans were known for their protection of their own feet and setting traps that would injure the feet of the opposing army. They were known for this. As a matter of fact, they would put types of cleats on the bottom of their, of their footwear that would enable them to stand firm on various types of terrain. They, they had made this thing, they had gotten this thing down to a science, if you will, that they understood that it was important. Now, why is this important? Why, why would they protect their feet, give themselves a stability and establish their own stance, and then take out the feet of their enemy? If you can take a soldier and immobilize them by injuring their feet, then they become literally a sitting duck. Don't they? I don't know when the last time you sat and thought about it for a minute is, but I'll tell you what the devil will do to you. He'll get you where you're doing nothing. He'll get you where you're aggravated and frustrated, and he will take out your feet, and you don't even know he's done it. He's very subtle about it, very sly about it. Some of you have been sitting for a long period of time when it comes to the things of God, and you've not been involved, and you are totally immobilized. Doing nothing. Now be careful because you are a you're a city duck man, and he's gonna he's not gonna he's not gonna take it easy. He's gonna come at you. As a matter of fact, this whole series, I can pretty much guarantee you, we're in for some battle. And this this series is not about I'm gonna tell you what God's laid on my heart now. Okay, this is not about avoiding the battle. This is about winning the battle. And if you're gonna win the battle, you need to go to battle. So if you're not ready to put on the armor and go at it, I suggest you miss the next eight weeks, nine, ten weeks, how long it is. It's not going to be for you. I'm just going to tell you. And, and so I'm, it's, going to get, it's going to get heated at times as the devil comes against you. Because he doesn't like the fact that you're going to take the offensive and start winning more than you've been winning in your own life. So we have the footwear that is mentioned. I think when it talks about the gospel of peace, that's interesting. The preparation of the gospel of peace. Having studied that out, the best explanation I can give, and I've read various commentators on it, but it appears as though if you will busy yourself with carrying the gospel, if you will busy yourself in the activity of sharing the gospel, then you keep your mobility going. You see, this is the thing that the devil hates. He doesn't want you to share Jesus. He doesn't want you to do anything that adds to the growth of the kingdom of God. He doesn't want you to, and as long as you're sitting there and you're all upset about something that probably doesn't matter, it'll be, 
then you're not doing what God wants you to do, and He's happy with that. The devil is, I'm talking about. He's perfectly okay with that. Because you have been taken out. You're inactive and immobile. Then we have the shield of faith. Perhaps one of the most uh, common pieces, famous pieces that people talk about, the shield of faith. And by this time, many of you no doubt have heard that the Romans had a couple of different size shields. They had a smaller shield that was used in a type of hand-to-hand -hand combat. And they had a larger shield that was virtually full body length. They could hide their entire body behind it. That is the one that's referred to in this text. There were different Greek words used to describe them. And by that we understand that what we're dealing with here is a shield that enabled the soldier to hide completely behind it. It's a tremendous weapon. And the Bible says it's a shield of faith. Of faith. And so let me ask you this question. How large is your faith? You got a little bit, bit of faith? Well, I don't know about you, but if I'm going to go to battle, I want me a big shield. Amen. Huh? Yeah. When I think about shields, I can't, my mind goes back. I grew up here in Florida, not far from this very spot uh, in Jacksonville. And my, my parents have a date tree uh, or a, a palm tree that, that bears dates. You know what I'm talking about? Those little orange look things. They sour. They stink. They're sticky. But they make great ammunition for a war. <laughs> I grew up in the day when we actually had garbage cans, not those things that the trucks pick up. You know what I'm yeah. talking about? The old metal yeah. cans. Well, you got you one of those shields. You know what I'm talking about? You got that <laughs> You beamed the other guy with those dates. They went home smelling horrible. They had to get hosed off in the front yard. And, get the, and I, when I think about the shield of faith, man, I want me a large shield. Yeah. And, and the Bible is talking about this. Listen, uh, your, your faith has to be exercised in order for it to grow. Now, the Bible says faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. The Bible goes on in Romans chapter 10 and verse 17. It says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And so what the scripture is telling us is this. Get busy about growing your faith. How do you do that? You, you listen to the Word. You study the Word. You trust the Lord. You step out and you exercise your faith. And you grow your faith. And your shield gets larger. There's another interesting thing about the shield that is mentioned in this text. Oftentimes it was designed where they could interlink with other soldiers. They had a maneuver among the many maneuvers that the Roman soldiers were taught to do. Lines and wedges. There was one called the turtle. And literally what they would do is they would huddle together and they would link their shields in such a manner that they were virtually impregnable when it came to that, that defense. The catapulting, the spears being thrown, the arrows that would come, it could not harm them when they stuck together like that. And I'm going to tell you something. There's an advantage to getting together with other people of faith. Amen. One of the tactics the devil uses is he'll begin to separate you. He'll take you away from the rest of the believers. You don't fellowship anymore. Maybe you're angry at something. Maybe you're just too busy. Doesn't matter what it is. But suddenly now you don't have the friends of the faith that you really need or you really uh, should be dependent on and developing in your own life. And before too long now, he's got you isolated. It's like one of those National Geographic's you watch on TV where the crocodile is just waiting on the, the little deer to get off to the side or the antelope who didn't make it in time. You know what I'm saying? And you're going to take him out. And so that, be careful because we have an adversary and he's seeking to devour us. The shield is made of laminated wood. Several layers of it. And we will talk in just a moment about how they, they did something to the shield that would help them against the fiery darts. And we're going to speak about that in just a minute. But let me go to the next piece of armor with you. The fifth and the defensive is the helmet of salvation. We got a good illustration of that with this helmet that uh, that uh, Brother Mac uh, had for us, and and uh, E and T uh, had in the video for us. But the helmet of salvation. Now, let me talk about this because this is very important. The battlefield. I want you to listen to this. The battlefield of spiritual warfare is the mind. That's right. Yeah. It's the mind. This is where the real battle is fought. Satan will come against your mind. His demons will come against your mind. The fallen angels will come against your mind. 
and suddenly you're going to be dealing with thoughts that you don't understand. Why in the world am I dealing with these thoughts? Why is this continually plugging me and bothering me? Why, why can't I overcome this? Most of us would have to admit, and I will not ask for a raise of hands, but most of us who have walked with the Lord any length of time would have to say, you know something? I've noticed that in my life, the same thing keeps creeping up over and over and over. It's because the devil takes better notes than most of us sitting here today. He's got, he's got your name and your notes and what it is that gives you a fit, and those can be strongholds in your life. And if you'll let him, He'll take over your way of thinking. But if you'll put on the helmet of salvation, guard your mind, you can defeat him in many of these battles that you're facing. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, beginning in verse 3. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. Casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Now what I'm about to share with you is not new to many of you that have sat under my ministry. You've heard it before. But if you're new here today to the church or maybe you've recently come to our church, let me give it to you. In this passage of scripture, the key is there for victory over those thoughts and over those strongholds. And what it amounts to is this simple little prayer. It just simply goes like this. Dear Lord, take that thought captive and make it obedient to you. Amen. That's it. It's really no, no more complicated than that. Now, here's what I have learned and here's what you will find. If you've experienced this before, I'm sure you would agree with me that sometimes you have to pray that a few times, right? One right after another because it doesn't happen right away. I'm hesitant to share this with you, but I will. Many years ago now, I guess uh, close to 30 years, my daughter was just born. Where's my wife at? Uh, we were living in the mobile home, and Amy was just a little baby, and uh, a lady had come to see me for counseling. And uh, she was, we found out, actually demon-possessed. And I, as I said, I was hesitant to share some of this with you, but this series is going to uh, uncover a lot of stuff like this. And, and I really want our people to have victory. Amen. And I want people who listen to this to have victory. Right. And it was, it was a serious matter. It was so serious that this girl who came into my home and sat down and I was talking with her and, and I had been studying how to deal with this type of thing. When I sensed it, I started to hand her my Bible. She would not hold it. I asked her to read a scripture as I held it. She would not read the name Jesus. And, and so I then told her what I thought. That I, I thought she was demon possessed. And I wanted to have the Lord rebuke that spirit. She looked at me. And this is true. My wife was in the house. With a man's voice said to me. Did you think it would, it would be that easy? Did you think it would be that easy? My wife immediately left the house. <laughs> and she went next door and called a pastor friend of mine to come over and pray. And so the story went on. And, and I, I won't tell you all of it. We do believe, I do believe she had victory that day. But here's my point. My point is the quotation of what I thought at that point was that spirit within her. Do you think it would be that easy? I want to tell you something. The devil's not going to let go of you easily. Right. He's been excited about the fact that he's had a lot of God's people hung up on stuff. He's excited about the fact that he's tempted our young people to get involved in drugs and alcohol. He's excited about the fact that your home is falling apart because of pornography and adultery. He is thrilled at the fact that your life is falling apart at the seams because you're trying to live dual life. He loves it. And so I say to you, do you really think it will be that easy for you to just pray a prayer one time and all of a sudden now you're free? I tell you, ladies and gentlemen, you'll pray it several times. 
And you'll pray that God will take that thought away. And you'll pray for that victory. And you'll ask Him to do it. You won't do it. I, I believe firmly in, in not doing the rebuking ourselves, but asking Jesus to do the rebuking for us. I, I believe that firmly. And so I ask you, ladies and gentlemen, pray that type of prayer. When those thoughts enter in, God, Lord Jesus, I ask you to take that thought, make it captive to you, and make it obedient to you. Take it captive. Make it obedient to you. You have to pray that thing several times. You're going to begin to see that you begin to experience relief in that area. Amen. You'll have the victory in your life. I believe that. Helmet of salvation. So pray on those pieces. But they're defensive. Let me, let me remind you. They're defensive. Now you can take this helmet. This helmet would hurt somebody. I mean, it would, it would hurt somebody. If I hit you over the head with this thing, or if I threw this thing at you, it would hurt you. But that's not what it's designed for. It's designed for a defense. The point is, everything we've talked about thus far is all about defense. All of it. Put on the belt, and put on the breastplate, and put on the, uh, get the shield there, and, and the helmet of salvation, and, and all these pieces are defensive. And now we're going to talk about why that's so very important. Number two, the second step, stand up. Let us resist vicious attacks. Stand up and resist vicious attacks. So first of all, we need to suit up. And then we need to stand up. Now the Bible says several times when we read it earlier, stand. Stand. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 13. Therefore take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Stand therefore. The next verse starts out. Verse 14. Stand therefore. Here's the point. The point is we just need to at times, and I'm going to get to the third point in a minute, so bear with me. There are times we just need to stand and take whatever is dished out and remain standing. Are you hearing me? Yeah, yeah. Remain standing. Right. Having done all, stand. If you've got the armor on, you can handle it. Now, you don't have the armor on, you're going to wind up down on the ground and defeat it. So put the armor on. And then stand. Take your stand. The Bible tells us this in 1 Peter 5, verse 8 and 9. I want you to see this with me. Most of us are familiar with verse 8. It's the beginning of verse 9 I want you to catch. So listen to it. Be sober. Be vigilant. Because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him. Let me read that again. Resist him. Did you know that that term that is in the Greek is the same root word as the word stand that we read earlier? To be fixed. To be established. Resist him, steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. Now, I'm going to say something to you, and some of you young people can take this home to your parents, and if they're here today, you can tell them, yeah, that's what the preacher said. <laughs> some of us have a quality that is not always seen as a quality. I want you to do your best not to look at the person this applies to. <laughs> but some people are stubborn and rebellious by nature. So you couldn't help it, could you? You look. I know. <laughs> now there's a quality to being stubborn and there's a quality to being rebellious. If you're stubborn over the right stuff, if you're rebellious over the right stuff. Amen. And that's what this phrase is talking about. Take your stand. Rebel against the current culture. Rebel against the, the advance of the devil. Rebel against the peer pressure that's trying to get you to do the wrong things. Rebel. Take your stand and be stubborn for the cause of Christ. We just need to apply the stubbornness in the right area. Amen? We're often taught and told, listen, be pliable for the Lord. And don't be stubborn. Be willing to serve God and do what God said to do. There's a certain level of stubbornness that's needed to do that. So I encourage you. That's what the word resist means. Take your stand. 
take your stand. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 16 says, it refers to the fiery darts, whereby you will be able to quench the fiery darts. The pyros bellos is the Greek term that's used there. Literally, it means the flaming arrows or spears that have been set on fire. But do you know what they used to do? The Roman soldiers would take hides, uh, animal hides, and they would soak them in water and sometimes in vinegar, and they would put that over their shield when they knew they were going to encounter incendiary devices that were being used by the enemy. And so when the arrow was sent, remember their shields were made of wood, laminated wood. And so when, when the arrow was sent, a flaming arrow, and it landed into the hide that had been saturated in water, it would extinguish the fire. <coughs> the point being this. Take your time to plan out your defense and then stand. Extinguish the fiery darts that come against you. Don't give in. Don't quit. I'm going to take the word stand with you and make an acronym out of it if you'd allow me to. And I'm going to give you these points. Here's some ways you can stand. It will help you remember to stand. The letter S. Serve the Lord and His people. Get involved in serving. When you're serving, you're going to have less opportunity to be attacked in the wrong areas of your life. And so let me encourage you. Uh, create the mobility that you need through service. The letter T. Think the right thoughts. Remember the battlefield is the mind. You want to take your stand. Control what goes into the mind. So you can control what's coming out of the mind. Can I get an amen or not? Huh? Philippians chapter 4, verse number 8. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are noble, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there is any virtue, and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. Now that might mean that some of us need to uh, change the music we listen to. It might mean we need to change what we're watching in terms of movies or television. It might mean we need to change some of the stuff we go to online. It might mean we need to change what we're putting in in order to control better what is coming out. Amen. Amen? That's right. A. Assemble with other believers. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 25 talks about not assembling or not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another so much more as you see the day approaching. Remember that turtle effect we were talking about. Get together with other believers. You'll be surprised how many other people have dealt with the same thing you're dealing with. And through the course of fellowship with one another, you're going to learn better how to strategize for the victory. Letter N, I'm going to use it for neglect. Neglect the fleshly appetite and feed the spirit. We do a, a thing called fasting. We encourage people. Sometimes it's good to fast. Why? Because it teaches us to deny the appetite of the flesh. Galatians chapter 5 and verse 16 and 17. I say then walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another. So that you do not do the things that you wish. And then the letter D, if you're going to take your stand, depend on God for your strength. Amen. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Let me deal last of all, and you've been very patient, but let me deal last of all with you the third step that we've got to take. We need to suit up, and we need to stand up, and then we need to step up, last of all, and rally for the victory again. Let me deal with this. The last two pieces of armor. The sword of the Spirit and prayer. Don't leave prayer out. Some of you are looking for that seventh point couldn't find it. And you're looking for something. Let me tell you something about these two real quick, okay? But let's talk about the sword of the Spirit for just a minute. The Roman sword was double-edged. It was designed to cut either direction. Now that's important because when you read Paul's account of the Word of God, you find it in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, for the Word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. You say, well, Pastor, can a sword be used defensively? Yes, it can. That's true. It can be used to block an opponent's sword that is coming. It might even block away a spear that is being, being aimed. But, but the design of the sword is to cut. 
Let me, let me share this little story with you. We were talking about basketball earlier, Brother Mark's uh, illustration uh, for, for testimony. Uh, so let me, let me take a minute. In 2004, we, uh, we moved to uh, the state of Texas. Do we have any Texans here today? Three of you. That's good. We moved uh, just outside Dallas and uh, became pretty avid Dallas Maverick fans of the NBA. Can I get a hoorah or anything? Yeah. Dallas Mavs. Man, they had, a, they had an explosive offense. When we moved there in, in the early to mid-2000s, man, they, they were just, they were unbelievable. They were outscoring opponents, but they could not win a championship. And the reason was they had no defense. They had this unbelievable offense, but no defense. And the word around the whole area in the region was they call them the Alice Mavericks because they had no D. <laughs> Adrian Johnson came on the scene, started working on defense, and then Rick Carlisle took over, and come 2011, they won the NBA championship because then they had combined the defense with that offense that they maintained. You say, what's the point? The point is the opposite sometimes happens with us. We focus on all the defense, and we don't realize we've been given two pieces of armor that are offense. And we need to get busy with the offensive side and use them to the best of our ability. The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, the Bible says. I want to ask you something. Would, ever, would you ever send a military soldier out not familiar with their weapon? And yet we go out and, and sometimes we're not familiar with the Word of God. And it's our sword. It's, it's where the victory is going to come. That's what Jesus used. Remember the temptation of Jesus, Matthew chapter 4 and Luke chapter 4? The devil comes against Jesus, and all three times that he approaches him, each time in Matthew chapter 4, it, it records this. It is written, Jesus said. It is written again, Jesus said. It is written, he said. Each time he combats the temptation with it is written. Yeah. Don't be like the young boy who went out one day and said, you know, I'm going to become a lumberjack. So he went down to the rental store and he got him a chainsaw. He told the guy, he said, I want the best chainsaw. Gave him a brand new Husqvarna chainsaw. He said, you can cut 50 trees a day with this thing. So the boy went out. That afternoon he cut down two trees. The next day he went out early in the morning, worked all day long, only cut down five trees. Took the thing back to the store. Told the man, put it up on the counter. He said, sir, he said, uh, you told me this thing cut down 50 trees a day. I worked all day yesterday. I only cut down five trees. He said, let me see that. He pulled the, pulled the rope on the thing and started up. And the boy jumped back. He said, what's that noise? <laughs> I know it's an old one, but still, the point is, don't get into battle and say, how in the world do I use this pump? Know the principles. Study the Word. Put it in so that the Holy Spirit can make the withdrawals. Make the deposits so He can make the withdrawals when the time is there. And you need it the most. And you'll have the victory in your life. And you'll not suffer the defeat because you'll be able to skillfully use the sword. So important for us to do. And then you have prayer. Everybody that's ever studied any type of warfare or strategy, whether it's just on a high school history class type thing or something more major, maybe that's your thing. You know the importance of communication in wartime. Prayer is our communication. Every adversary looks to cut the communication. You know why you have trouble praying on a regular basis? You know why you made up your mind that time and you said, I'm going to pray every day this time? You know why you struggle with that and you find yourself without the time? You know why? Because the devil is working constantly to make sure you don't have the communication you need to make it through that day for victory's sake. That's why. He'll cut your cables. He'll interrupt that. He'll, he'll, he'll get that communication that's being sent out or that you want to send out. Listen, it does not matter. How the, the messages throughout war times were sent. They needed to be sent in a timely fashion and they needed to be reliable. And I'm telling you, if you're not praying, first of all, you don't have the defense that prayer offers, nor do you have the offense that prayer offers. And I believe it's an offensive weapon. 
You can use that thing and do it in a mighty way. A mighty way. I, uh, my time is gone, but I read recently this week in, in, in light of this. You can Google it for yourself. There are so many battles that were lost because of a blunder concerning communication. Major battles lost because of problems with communication. And we will leave here today, or we will listen to this message online today, and unfortunately not everybody will take to heart the importance of the communication they have with God. Did you know that when you wake up in the morning, there is only one entity that understands everything that you're going to face that day? Amen. And He can maneuver you into the blessed spots, or He can allow you to fall into the more difficult spots. He knows every ambush that has been set. He knows every arrow aimed at you. He knows every trap that is laid out. He knows every mind that has been placed in that field. And all you got to do is communicate with him and get through it. Get through it. I'm going to ask you to do something today. I'm going to ask you to do a couple things, actually, but one of them is make up your mind. You're going to suit up. You're going to stand. You're going to step up. You're going to go from just the defensive, standing there getting pummeled to death, and you're going to decide, you're going to take the offensive side of this thing. You're going to use the Word of God. One of the things I read about Vespian and his Roman army was that he would take, Josephus reports it in the War of the Jews, he said he would take his army and parade them as they came into an area, parade them in front of the enemy to intimidate them. And to offer them one last chance, Josephus said, to repent and leave. Surrender. William Cowper said it this way, Satan trembles when he sees the weakest saint upon his knees. I'm going to ask you to go from being intimidated to being the intimidator. Yeah. Amen. I'm going to ask you to go from being the one who's taking all those fiery darts to the one who's dishing out some of the word. Amen. I'm going to ask you to go from the person who's just been on the defense and maybe suffering as a result of it to one who's on the offense. And through the power of Jesus Christ, you're going to have the victory this week every day because you're going to pray on the armor. You're going to pray it on for yourself. You're going to pray it on for your children. You're going to pray it on for your Amen. spouse. And you're going to pray it on for your family. You're going to pray it on for your church members and your family within Christ. And you're going to say every morning when you get up, this is what I will do. I will start my communication with God. I will open it up and I will stay in touch with Him all day long. And when the day is ended, I will have the victory in such a powerful way. Amen. I will stop and praise Him for all He has done. The time is coming. We will deal with addictions. I'm not going to end that message right now with you, but I'm going to ask you to do some pretty serious stuff when it comes to this. But for now, the Bible is coming. You didn't have to go looking for it. It found you. So suit up. Stand up. And step up.